Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside just outside of New York City from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Hey, Andrew, how are you? Doing well. Doing very well. How are you? How's fatherhood going? Fatherhood is good. I'm in a constant state of, is this okay? Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like it's okay. Am I doing it right? If if I looked in the fatherhood manual, would I be doing this correctly? And so my, I, I had all these thoughts today. And so my, um, my friend Ronan, who has two girls who are um, older, we'll say like they're like four and six or something like that. And... Um, he just was texting me and said, we're all winging it. Yeah. Don't, don't like, don't get into that. You know, there is no manual. You're doing your best. Um, I couldn't get her to stop crying between the hours of one and two thirty AM last night. And at one point I picked her up and I just said, what's troubling you? <laughs> and this gummy scream into my face, looking like Alan Brazil, um, you know, is it the economy? I, I try to make jokes, you know, because ultimately my life has been about trying to make women laugh. Um, you know, is it the economy? <laughs> is there something going on in your diaper? Is it somewhere between these two things? And she eventually nodded off and I, I you know, I got some decent sleep. I got, I got the night feeds in, but no one wants, no one wants to hear about this. Tell them about the amazing podcast we have. We do. We do have a great podcast. Uh, there's a lot to get to on this one. Obviously, Manchester City, two-thirds of the way through a potentially historic season. We'll talk a little bit about that. More so because there is still more City, obviously. Manchester City have just perpetually in the news this time of year because they're winning everything. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about the team that they just beat over the weekend. Now that United's first season under Eric Ten Hag has come to a conclusion, we'll talk a little bit about uh, where they are and how you should be feeling about them and where they're headed. Cause they are, I don't know. I, I find them to be in a fascinating place. So we'll talk about uh, those things. And I gauged the man in the street about it. Oh, okay. That's good. I didn't, I asked my man United friend from around the corner who oh. I, uses a template and uh, her dad. I mean, if they were in a street at the time, then you're not, wrong. they actually were. All so right. So there you go. Uh, JJ, we're going to talk of course about the, will he, 
oh, he won't. Oh, wait, he will. That is Kareem Benzema and Real Madrid, their relationship coming to an end. Kind of surprising one. After it seemed like he was going, then suddenly he wasn't going, but he is now very much, in fact, going. So we'll talk about that and and the live golfification of soccer in oh, Europe. You're so smug that your reference is, is actually proving to be true. It is proven to be true. Uh, and we'll even take that into the Leo Messi direction. We'll talk about that. There's a lot. Zlatan retired. CONCACAF Champions League final. We even brought back red cards and man of the match, JJ. And I'll tell you this. It was a week where sometimes, remember, we used to do red cards and man of the match. And like we, we kind of toned we toned them down a little bit. We didn't. We used to do them every week, and then we kind of stopped because it was like, eh, sometimes I feel like I'm forcing it. Is it really necessary? This was one where I could have had like four for each. Yeah. So I'm excited to uh, to get into that as well. But JJ, we start the podcast with, I guess, a little bit of what I would refer to as pre-breaking news. There's a news story out there right now uh, that by the time you're listening to this, we expect it to be true. Um, it essentially feels like it's been confirmed everywhere. So we want to be ahead of the curve a little bit as much as we can and talk about what appears to be a new managerial appointment for Tottenham Hotspur and Ange Postacoglu, uh, someone that we had talked a little, a little bit about a couple weeks ago as a potential candidate, one that I was that I had settled on being good with. I was I was good with it. I had a couple reservations just about the leagues in which he had managed, the clubs that he had managed for. Um and now that it appears as though this is going to happen, I, I think I've now, you know, I'll talk myself into anything. Like, you know me. You know me well enough. For all the yeah. jokes that you ma- that we make about me, oh, it is a bright future, you know, <laughs> negative Andy, all that. Generally, you know me as someone who likes to like things. Correct. And and I'm that's where I'm at now with this, with this potential hiring. I, I've talked to, you know, I mentioned that I talked to one of my good friends at work who's an obsessive Celtic fan yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And and I when, I, when the rumors were first kind of out there and I knew we were going to talk about it on the pod – and I asked him his take, and he said, don't you dare take him from us. And so I, I saw there was a tweet today, is Andrew's work friend, Celtic work friend, talking to him now. So <laughs> I, I mentioned that to him, and he he did have to take a shot at me, of course. He said, well, I'm just proud to have uh, – I'm proud to have been the club that was responsible for Ange's final title. The obvious implication is that he will not win one at Spurs, which is probably uh, true. <laughs> I, I <laughs> think – it doesn't mean he can't make them better. It doesn't mean he can't make them potent. Um, it's 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 been weird for me because Postacoglu went to Celtic, and he people didn't get him immediately. Who's this Aussie? Look at the teams he's managed. You know why should we be enthusiastic about him managing one of the biggest clubs in the world, which Celtic are, despite what people say. They're they're not in the biggest league in the world. They are one of the biggest clubs in the they're, world. They're a big brand. There's no they're massive. They have more supporters. They they have more supporters worldwide than Tottenham will ever have. But the um, but the point was he got the club and he came in and he said the right things. He galvanized everyone together. He denied Rangers the the ten in a row. He he was he was amazing, truly amazing. And I think those qualities are what's needed at Tottenham. Like beyond the fact that he fulfills a category that Daniel Levy says he understands and yet has completely, since he said the words, the Tottenham style of play, he's completely gone against that in his manager. He's betrayed that quote at every turn. At every turn. But Ange Postacoglu would be a guy who who can fulfill that, understands the play. It would be attacking football. It would certainly be that. Um, but, But he would get the club and he would... I don't want to sound cynical about it, but he would know what to say. He would win at every turn with his kind of grumpy yet warm demeanor. At every turn, he would win the the press conference. And the idea of pressure, 
I'm sorry, when he lost to Hearts in his like what was it his opening game at the start of his tenure, I mean there was no greater pressure. Here's this Aussie who's come in. Does he understand Scottish football? Does he understand Celtic Football Club? And he turned that around. Now, the savvy signings he made from Japan with that knowledge, that's interesting to me. Like that, Because that I feel like that won't be the case at Spurs. I, I, I think there will be a different kind of approach. Uh, but who knows? Maybe he'll bring from the north, south, some of the players that have, uh, that have got him. You know, maybe you see a Jota uh, end up at Spurs. Maybe you see... Um, uh, Kyogo, I, probably not, but maybe you see them come down south. But the point being is, I think it's something to be excited about. And I know I'm kind of, is Ange Postacoglu the soup du jour? He most definitely is a soup of the day. And we know that um, Levy has been lured to the soup before. Whatever manager is up there that's thought very highly of in Europe, he has tended to go, to go for them and then either not supplied them with the things they wanted or realize that they're not a fit for the club. And he got it right once. Harry Redknapp aside, he got it right once uh, with Pochettino. But I do think Ange is something, someone to get excited about. I think, I think he can galvanize the support. I think so too. I think for myself and, and for, for Spurs fans everywhere, I think he checks a few vitally important boxes at this kind of juncture in their history. I think, and you touched on them. First and foremost, I think the style of play. I just think they... They just desperately need something that looks different on the field than how it's looked for yep. the past few years. The, the fans just don't want to see it anymore. Fan, I think in the beginning, like myself, Tottenham fans had gotten right to the edge of winning something important but couldn't quite get there. And I think they were willing to sign on for kind of compromising their you know, tactical values in the effort to try to finally get that glory. It hasn't worked, and we're scrapping that plan because yeah. it hasn't been fun. So I think he, he checks that box. The second box that you talked about, I think, you know, we, we joke about winning the press conference. Like, that's not really something that doesn't equate to wins necessarily. But I do think it's important right now, after Tottenham have kind of gone through this stretch of managers that they haven't really liked personality-wise. Mm. I know there's been some, you know, at different points we've differed on that. But but for the most part, I, I think the fact that they're going to br- they're bringing in a guy who is... I mean, just talking with my friend who's a Celtic fan and listening to a couple podcasts about what this guy is, he's loved. Every, loved. Time he, every time he opens his mouth, people seem the fans seem to fall in love with him more. I do think it's important to have a manager that the fans will be on his side. I think that helps. I think that whatever goodwill that builds up um, with him, that you know, maybe it will allow him. Because you know what I said uh, last month about Tottenham on this podcast? I, my opinion is that the next manager they hire will not be the one who fixes their problems, that the problems are too deep, and the sport right now is too fickle with managerial appointments. They fire guys at the drop of a hat, that it's going to take – if that's how if that's how it's going to be, then this manager won't do it. Maybe, though, if this guy is beloved by the fans, maybe he will have time. I think stability matters, and maybe having that relationship with a fan base um, will help him. Um, so, you know, I, I think those things are all important. And then the last bit on this, and I wonder what you make of this. I hope this doesn't come across as demeaning because that's uh-uh. not so. So no one take it that way. But uh-huh. like, I think it's I like that Tottenham are hiring a manager that I think I'll word it this way and then I'll back down from it a little bit. But like, it feels like a little bit of like he needs them more than they need him kind of thing. Um, Here, here's what yeah, I mean I, by that. Like, right, I, okay. Conte and Mourinho, it felt like they were serving time by having to manage Tottenham. 
Like it just felt like if you look yeah. at their past jobs, the prestige of, you know, whatever you want to say about them as managers, about their styles, their prestige is what it is. These guys are serial winners. You may not like the way they go about it. You may not love all the things they have to say, but they win everywhere they go. Tottenham aren't that club. And so when you see a Mourinho there or a Conte there, it's like, does he really want to be here? Like, is this guy actually in this for the long haul? Or is this just some kind of way station for him along his route back to prominence somewhere else? Like, is he, re- does he really get what we're about? I like for whatever moments I might've enjoyed Mourinho or, you know, Conte leading Spurs back into the champions league. You always wondered that about those guys. This is different. This is a manager who feels like he's on his way up as opposed to two managers who are trying to re rebuild their reputations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's also a, a, a need in Ange. So Ange has suddenly gone in his mid fifties to a massive club like Glasgow Celtic. And now he's going to the biggest league in the world with one of the, 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 the higher end clubs in London. So it's all gone turbo for Ange and he knows it's not coming around again for him. He's 57. So there's a sense he will have a need and a want and a desire to make this work. And that's huge in a manager. Whereas Conte, did he did he need Spurs? Nice stopgap. Very nice stopgap. Got them to top four. But he, he was there and he immediately complained about it all the time. All yes. the time. He hated um, them. He, he, hated them. <laughs> he, it was, he was miserable. And I know he was dealing with a lot of things away from the game as yes. well. His, his own health issues. Yeah, he had lost but, a couple friends. Uh, so you know, like I know that there was a lot going on with him. I know, he, I know, but uh, but equally, um, it, it didn't. It seemed like a a brief, short marriage of convenience that ended yeah. up not being very convenient, a marriage of inconvenience. So so Ange is not going to be like that. He's going to be Johnny enthusiasm when he gets in. My, my yeah. final word on it is this: um, Pasta Coglu. The the one downside you would say about Pasta Coglu coming to Spurs is that here is an idealistic manager who has a certain way of playing. And he's coming into a big club that's in, 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 in some sort of a mini crisis. Does that smack a little bit of Graham Potter? And could that suddenly uh, not work because he simply won't get the time to, to, to put into place his ideas and his methods? And also, like, who's going to be doing the signings for Spurs? Like, who is going to do that? Like we like that's not abundantly clear to me how that's going to work. So there's well, it's not. I don't think it's the manager. No, it's I not. Mean, I, be... I'm sure he'll have input, but it's not like it's always been clear at Tottenham who's who's the boss, right? When but it comes that's, to these things, there has to be there has to be simpatico there, um, and and like as much as there's financial constraints uh, by the board of Celtic Football Club by Dermot Desmond, Ange was able to work within it to get the guys he wanted. He was able to work with the sporting director up there to get the guys in that specifically the guys he wanted. Now, is that if that's not the case at Spurs, this thing, this thing may not work out, and and I really do hope it does. Um, and to the Celtic Glasgow Celtic fans who are, you know, crestfallen tonight, disappointed. I was listening to uh, Paul John Dykes on a Celtic State of Mind, who we've had on this podcast before, and um, they're so downbeat, Andrew, because he was loved. They loved him. They really they did. did. They did love him. Uh, here's him talking about Celtic Football Club in January of 2022. And um, these kind of things uh, are what gets a manager into the hearts of fans. What I will say is that I will always, always protect the interests of this football club. Always. Against anybody. Um, so um, I can assure you that um, I won't let anyone uh, take advantage of, of this football club. My interests lie here. So I will protect it with everything I can. 
Now, you can ask, uh, is he currently serving the best interests of Glasgow Celtic Football Club? Um, I don't know. He's brought them to the treble. They completed that against Inverness Cali at the weekend uh, in the Cup. So does he really owe them anything? I don't know. He's he's brought them back to a, to a better footing, a, a far better footing than they were before he arrived. I think he's done his job and he's probably looked at his age profile and looked at his career so far and says, I deserve this and I'm going south. And I don't think, I mean, they can be upset about it. They will be. And they, and they should be uh, losing a manager that they, that they loved who was successful at the club. I I totally understand that, but am I wrong to say that they, they probably would understand it? Oh, I think, I think there's more as, as time goes by when you're, when you're very successful manager ends up at Leicester city. You and 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 you look at the at the market forces I've spoke about before. You look at Bournemouth having more of an income from TV uh, and being a, a a club with more money than AC Milan. Then you realise that the dynamics have shifted. And I do think Celtic fans have, are grimly resigned. They'll never say that their that their club is not a big club, and nor should they. But they're grimly resigned to the yeah to the market forces. I I, I always talk about this. The money yeah. travels south. The money always travels south, but even more even more so in the last twenty five years. Yeah, so I'm in on it. I'm excited about it. Should be uh, uh, for everything that you read that you hear about, like his other press conferences. I can't wait for his introductory press conference. I just want to hear him speak. Yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm I'm ready. I'll tell you, I'm ready to I, get I will, hurt I, again. I, I want to say one thing about accents because it comes up a lot. Whatever it is, whatever it is, with his delivery, his his kind of his tone. The fact he has an Australian accent, which is not an accent that you immediately associate with soccer, it is not as jarring as as hearing an American accent. It's so strange to me. It is just so strange. Like, why is that? Why is an Aussie accent less jarring than a Yank accent when 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 it comes to soccer? It's I don't know. It's it's weird, weird conditioning down the years. I guess an American accent in in soccer. You're saying. Yeah, when like oh, because no I know one respects us. No one thinks we know anything. We're we're half wits. You know, we're just we're just le- seeing our way in the dark in learning this sport. We we don't know anything, and, and yeah, that's that's what the world thinks of us. Sad. Yeah, which is very sad. Uh, anyway. All right. Well, yeah. Anyway, self-loathing uh, aside, I just I just thought it's. I, I'm sure there's some linguistics anthropology person who can explain that one to me, um, in more detail. Um, let's see. Let's continue now, JJ, and we'll uh, we'll talk about Manchester City. They win the FA Cup over the weekend. That's two down, one to go in their quest for the trouble. Um, Ilkay Gundogan, heroic. Just <laughs> what a performance! What an incredible, just outrageous start to this game. Um, yeah, just going back and rewatching the initial goal. Yeah, like. Uh, yeah, there's a there's an I don't want to I like to applaud great goals and that was a great one. I mean, yes, it was. like that was just brilliant. But like 15 seconds in, how have you already lost track of him? I know. I, I, so I was reading Miguel Delaney's match report and Miguel posits that it's because there was so much focus on De Bruyne and Haaland and stopping Haaland that kind of Gundogan snuck under the radar twice or more than twice in the game, but twice for, for the two goals. Um, also the way the ball was flicked on, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't a, a classic Manchester city move and it just, it reminds me of the T1000 um, the T1000 could mold itself into anything to trick you. 
Mm. And now we're seeing that Pep is learning. Pep can be 2002 Sam Allardyce and score a goal where it's almost like Kevin Davies nodding on to a midfielder attacking to Yuri Jorkoyev who volleys it into the top corner. Like City have everything in their armory now, uh, now that they have Haaland. Um, but, but yeah, it was, um, it was such a clean volley. Now, should David De Gea, who had a clear view of it, done more? I still, I still, we'll talk about the second goal. I don't think he gets close to that, even if he dives. It's so in the top corner. It's, it's going to be with real pace and velocity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have a problem with that one. He can't, well, I, the reason we're going back litigating that now is because he didn't do anything. And <laughs> also, like, too, the moment in time that we're catching him, he's not, he has not been good for to end this season certainly so it, no. it becomes easy because you, you now want to look at everything around what he's doing in net and analyzing right. it and and retrospectively also from the second goal which like i said we we will talk about um yeah you're, you're kind of viewing it through through different uh, lenses but it's it's such an amazing start such an absolutely awful start for manchester united and um and city looked like they didn't really kick on, but City looked like they they were going to, and they were going to make things very like. If if I'd said to you this will finish four one, after what? that first goal goes in, you you would have signed up for that. If what do you mean, just as my prediction? Yeah, I would yeah, say, oh, you think United's going to get one? I mean, United did nothing, and now like they 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 found a way into a goal over a handball. That should we talk about that now? Yeah, let's do that now because um, in terms of the game, those are the big talking points even a couple of days on. Well, if you want to talk about Gundogan second and De Gea, I don't, I don't know if you wanted to keep going on that before. We well, let, let me just else. finish with that one. I still think it's a clever improvised finish from, from Gundogan. It's not a perfect, it's not a perfect hit and, and De Gea is, is unsighted. But how does he get down so slow? I mean, the... So I, w- I was wondering about that. Tell me what you think of this. Again, we play these games where we try to pretend we know what someone else is thinking and we're probably not right. But when I was watching that JJ, as the ball left Gundogan's foot, first of all, it didn't leave his foot cleanly. So there's like a, a millisecond of trying to read where that yes. ball is going to go. Yeah. Then on top of that, like you said, he might not have seen it clearly. So that's another, you know, couple tenths of seconds or whatever of, of understanding where the ball actually is. And then there's even a third part to it for me where like, so now, okay, once he has seen it, there's also a sea of bodies. Like, he also has to try to guess as to whether or not that ball is going to take some kind of deflection, which I, I'm surprised it didn't. I had to watch the replay a couple times to assure myself that it didn't actually deflect off of anyone. And I wonder if De Gea is also trying to read, okay, if this hits Varane, where is this thing going to wind up? Yeah. Which maybe just delays him. Again, these things are all just like milliseconds, but they add up to a place where you're watching the replay and saying, why is De Gea not moving? I wonder if he's just trying to read all of these things simultaneously, and it looks like a delay in his action. Yeah, I, I guess so. I guess so. It's just a keeper that's that athletic that is actually favoring that side. You, and the pace at which the ball went into the net, you kind of just expected him maybe to do better. But again, whatever. Let, let's go to the handball then. So the handball. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'll say it again. I don't know what is or what isn't. But to sit here and tell me what happened last week in the Europa League final is not a handball. But this and then, is. And then you're going to turn around and tell me that this one in the FA Cup final is what? Like, 
I'm not even I'm not even asking for consistency, but like, can we get into the same country as consistency? Forget neighborhood. We're never going to get to neighborhood. Can we even be in the same country as consistency? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. How is and I know what the rules say. And it, and the rules basically tell you now that like what Grealish did because his hands uh, because regardless of how natural that position is, because his hand was away from his body, it doesn't nothing else matters. The ball hits that hand and that's a it's a penalty. So I'm not going to fight them and say that that's a bad call. I don't think that it's a bad call. It probably is the right call. But like how is to to see these two things next to each other within a week span and you and and if you ask me blindly without knowing the outcome to point out which one was a penalty in a million years I never would say the Grealish one ever what's he supposed to do he's on top of the player he, but did you I mean so so Michael Kelly tweeted well uh, you know we haven't really seen this kind of one applied even though it's 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 in that kind of space where the Premier League is now operating in terms of handball and I know you're looking for consistency but um. We did see that one. Bournemouth. Bournemouth got, uh, Liverpool got a penalty against Bournemouth for that exact one where you're jumping with the ball. The ball's behind you and suddenly it's hit from behind and as you're turning, it hits your hand. I think there's nothing you can do. Physically, there's nothing you can do. Um, and I don't think it's right that those are penalties. But the minute it happened, the minute there was a VAR review and the minute you could discern that it flicked the knuckles or the, or the, the pinky or the fingertip of Jack Grealish, I knew it was going to be a penalty. Yeah. Just n- nailed on. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's the so, state of of what penalty of what right. handballs are now. Um, I just I just kept thinking over and over again about what I saw in the Europa League, and then thinking about this and thinking, I just can't believe like one of these was and one of these wasn't, and this is the one that was. Like, I just I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I was talking about it with someone else at work, and he was saying maybe they just need to get to a place where just remove subjectivity. And it's if the ball makes contact with the arm or hand in the box, I don't care about anything else. It is. And we just we treat it like an offsides almost where there's okay. a clear line. And like, that's it. Like, is that where we want to get to? But I feel like then you're going to have guys who stop trying to play soccer and start trying to aim for hands, which I do think a lot of these guys are good enough to do when they have a <laughs> static defender in front of them. Hell, I still think it's what happened to Tottenham in the 19 Champions League final. <laughs> and then we're into this existential crisis again, but a different kind of existential crisis. Look, I can see why people are pissed off with that, annoyed with it. Um, but I, I just instantly thought it was it was it was a penalty. And um like even a few days later, and like, yeah, that's a penalty under what we know are the rules. Yeah, uh, you're right, I, and that was how I started this by saying I'm not going to fight that it is. No, I just don't like it. I just it 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 doesn't seem like it's kind of like you talk about molecular levels, the spirit of the rules. Like, I don't know. This is one that I just handballs like that to me. I just that's a tough one to stomach. I don't love it. I don't. I don't love it. Um. But it's, but in would, the end, it wound up relatively speaking inconsequential because Gundogan got another one. He was brilliant. City win. Their season is not over yet. Of course, they still have perhaps the biggest game of them all still remaining. But United season is. That is uh, the curtain. Curtains down on Manchester United's 2022-2023 season. And boy, what a what an interesting season it was for them. Yeah. And I, I want to go a little bit deeper with you on that. Just before getting into anything else. Your, what what is the final verdict on this season for United? How would you describe it? I I think it's I think it's been a good start, mm-hmm. and I think the fact they didn't 
the fact they didn't get pumped on Sunday is definitely a case of that mad TV show, Lowered Expectations. Yeah, and that that's exactly like that's like, what their fans that's what their own fans thought. I, yeah, I yeah. know I know United fans and like they were not excited for this FA Cup final in the way that I thought they'd be. Like high like FA Cup final against a rival to try to prevent them from equaling your mark of a treble. Like it felt like this was a, a cool opportunity to to do something and there was not a whole lot of belief from the red half of Manchester that they were going to be able to do it. In the end, they wound up being right, but I was a little for a club that I, I kind of like, I align them with this almost like irrational confidence sometimes Yeah, because it's Manchester United, sort of like Cowboys fans in this country. Like no matter right. how bad Cowboys fans are, they're always still the loudest guy in the room. United fans were very much not that leading up to this. Uh, like I, I referenced my friend, the, the woman in the street, Lauren, and she was like, after the game, she was upset they lost, obviously, um, but kind of wanted to talk about, to, to give them praise for at least being competitive, which again is... Yeah, I mean, it's just... I get it. They were good. They were competitive, but they were still way off City in terms of, like, in the end, they they didn't win the game. And... You would say going into next season, they'll still be way off Manchester City. But like, so, I mean, she's, she's absolutely petrified that the treble is going to be taken away. The only thing that stands between between her and her worst nightmare, that City won the treble, is Internazionale. In fact, she's she's just broken up with her boyfriend after a decade and she's more concerned about losing the treble to City or City do the treble than she she is uh, upset about what's just happened. Maybe I'm I'm over-egging that a bit. But the point being, um, this is where we're at with Manchester United. Now, you asked me, like, big picture, how how's the season looking? Um, prior to the cup final, Dion Fanning in the Irish Examiner wrote this, United are, un- are unlikely to beat City in the FA Cup final at Wembley today. And in the medium term, that might be no harm for Ten Hag. Two cups, as many as Liverpool managed last year in a season which threatened to be historic, would raise expectations even further. United are back in the Champions League and they have shown enough promise for supporters to believe in Ten Hag. For now, that is more than enough. That's where they're at. Amazing. That is where they're at. Um, He goes on, how he, you know, you ask how are they feeling about their future and, and Dion addresses it here. Manchester United believe Ten Hag is taking the club to where they aspire to be. That is another challenge to wrestle with. He won't benefit from low expectations again. So, so his good grace period of the low expectations is probably gone now. And so next season, United need to be in some semblance of a title race. And I think they have so much work to do in terms of personnel to get there. Um, but yeah, this is, it's so strange. You can say this is Manchester United all you want, but... It's not really. It's not the United we used to know. And the expectations are so much lower now that, like I said, fans are delighted to come away from a game like this, happy that they haven't been pumped by City. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's different times. It's No, it's been that way or it's been trending that way for over a decade. I mean, this is a club whose fan base of all the clubs right now who are trying to cope with this Manchester City world that we're living in, it's got to be most difficult for them just because like, a, it's their neighbor who they always looked upon as sort of like, oh, that's look at them over there, that's adorable. Yeah. You know that like that was always like 
th- this noisy th- neighbors who was never really a threat to their reign of dominance. Like, nope. so the fact that it's not just some other team that has completely overtaken them and this entire league as a whole, but it's that team. Like there yeah. has to be some sort of just extra demoralization of the Manchester United fan base that, like you just said, going into next season and the expectation is such that like to just be in a semblance of a title race is enough. Like what, what kind of world are United fans living in where like that's, that has to be the way they're approaching seasons. They're not used to this. So the whiplash effect that United fans are probably just kind of coming, coming down from of like what happened here in the last 10 years of this sport that like, we can't compete. We're Manchester United. Like, yeah, it, it, it's got to be hard for that fan base to come to terms with it. And I think they have. And I think that's why their morale is so low is because they're understanding that this is the way it is now. It's not your league anymore. It's it's that little adorable neighbor of yours. They're now the big guy. Um, in terms of their future, I mean, I think what you say is true. I do think that they're still a ways off. But there's so many questions that like they've got a lot to figure out for a team that like I overall I do feel like had a good season. Yeah. It was productive. And like, there's, there's reason to feel good about what happened here. There are questions like, look, I put Rashford in my team of the season. I thought he was great. I loved watching him this year, but like, you know, it is still fair looking at his last couple of seasons as a whole. And even the way he ended this season, mm. it's fair to still ask like, okay, he's really good. He's part of our future, but is he good enough to lead the attack? If he's our best attacker, how well, are we in that part of the field? Like, well, can can we frame it in a different way? It can't just be Rashford, and it can't be Rashford plus someone like Vout Veghorst. So right. I've written down the areas I think they need to, to have major surgery in, mm-hmm. and it it doesn't. It's not pretty. Like, and I mean not to be decent next season. I mean to be ultra competitive and to kick on and move and progress under Ten Hag, who I think is the right manager for the job, by the way. So they need a new goalkeeper. If they're, if they're really going to play like Ten Hag wants them to, they need to get rid of one of the best paid, if not the best paid goalkeeper in European, in, in world football. Mm-hmm. They have to move on from him. They have to figure something out at center back where they are just, the England captain is not good enough. He's not going to play it. They have to try and get rid of him. Uh, Lindelof. Yeah, I don't think center post- back, if I'm ranking areas of concern, a center back pairing of Varane and Lissandra Martinez with Lindelof as my third option. I'm fine. I'm not. Okay. Ch- I'm good there. All right. Okay. All right. You you're happy with uh, Varane and and Martinez. All right. Okay. Fair enough. But I do I do think like there is a glut of uh, of center backs that they need to get rid of Andrew and get in and and move on and and get off the wage and get some better uh, replacements in there. Right back. Right back. They need to. It can't be Wambasaki again. He was up and down. I thought his end of the season was actually pretty good. Okay. I, I really do. I, I, I don't still... know. I look at their back. Wampasak and Shaw at fullback. Those two, the center backs, Martinez and Veron. I th- I'm okay with that. Like, that's not where I'm looking for my concern with this club right now. Um, uh, center forward cannot just be Rashford on his own. Like I said, they have to look at other options. Center midfield as well. Uh, I think Casemiro has been, been really, really good for them. But, you know, who is the supporting cast? Fred and McTominay were here and there's all sorts of bids from all sorts of different clubs for, for both of them. And I think one or both of them will be let go this summer. Um, that's a lot. And there's more. Like, there's ones you didn't even mention. Go like, on then. Well, like, Jaden Sancho, for what they paid yep. for him. Like, we've seen flashes. Like, we talked a couple weeks ago. It was like he put, he's finally strung a couple games together where it looked like his confidence was starting to get going a little bit and he was he was impacting them in a positive way. But, like... It can't just be flashes. 
It's just, that's not enough. You know, Martial, have we finally seen enough to say, you know what? We tried. It's just not going to happen here. Like that, again, that was a big signing for them when they got him. Um, And like, you know, this, this is a lot of their depth that we're talking about. Like I, they have main pieces that I do feel good about. Like I said, they're back. Erickson, even like the like of Erickson, look how ineffective he was in a game where they don't have the ball. Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be games like that, especially when you were in the league with Man City and, and maybe a team like Liverpool. Yeah, and so these areas that need improving, I, I improving. I agree with you on the keeper. Like I just don't think. I just think we're finally at that point where you can say I don't. I don't know that he's it. I don't know that he's it anymore. And I up front, like what you're talking about. Um, Mark Ogden talked about it. He said their main striker, Marcus Rashford, is too inconsistent. He scored 11 Premier League goals in the two months after the World Cup, but only a further three in the final three months of the season. His future is also shrouded in uncertainty. Rashford, 25, is out of contract in June of 2024 and is likely to become United's top earner if he commits to a new deal. Ten Hag won't want to lose him, but equally, he needs more from the England forward than sporadic bursts of form, followed by disappearing acts when the team needs him the most. You know, that, uh, again, I like Rashford. I'm on, I'm on his side, but Mark, that, there are facts in there that are that you can't necessarily fight. There's truth there. And so, like, Ogden goes on to talk about in, in his column at ESPN FC that, for a long time now, it feels like United have sort of tried going with Band-Aids up front. I mean, you can go back. Falcao, Zlatan, Cavani, Igalo, Ronaldo, Veghorst. Like, that's a lot of what they've tried to do over this era of Manchester United at, at arguably the game's most important position. Enough. No more Band-Aids. No, like, I think it's time to invest in that spot, whether that means Osiman or really going I, – I, I mean – Tottenham are not going to make it easy for anyone in the Premier League to take Kane from them. I think there's a chance that Real Madrid can for, yeah. the right, for something over $100 million. But if you're going to be a Premier League team that comes to do it, anything under 150 and it's a non-starter. You know, is, is that the right move? I don't know. His age worries me a little bit. If you're, if you're United and you're going to invest like that, I'd rather it be Osiman. I think, in that case. That's not just the Tottenham fan of me. That I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible in, in how United would be looking at it. But I think it's time where, like... They cannot go into next season without Veghorst as their starter at that position. There's just no way if they want to think that they're a contender for anything, anything serious. So like, those are the two names that strike me. We'll see who else pops up over the course of the transfer window. But I think that like they have to commit real resources, not just Band-Aid resources, real ones to that position. And I kind of feel that... And this is my last thing on United. I don't think it's as much a test of Ten Hag as it is a test of the board and how they'll back him. I think, I think they, it would be in their interests at least in the short term. And I'm not, I'm not a, I wouldn't be a big advocate of paying big money for a guy over thirty, a striker. But at least in the short term, it might make sense to go after Kane. He's not. I know Robin Van Persie is the classic kind of warning sign where Fergie buys him almost as this signing to ensure he has one more Premier League and then Fergie leaves and Moyes has him and he's he goes back to his injury prone ways Kane Kane doesn't have those injury concerns or he doesn't have as profound of injury concerns that uh, Robin Van Persie did when he joined 10 years ago so I, I think they need they'll have to involve themselves in a bidding war with Real Madrid to get him can I throw one last name at you? And this Go this on. might actually be a little hypocritical because it might qualify as one of the Band-Aids, mm. but it's an intriguing one. Um, Neymar. Wouldn't go near it. Okay. Oh, my God. The uh, wages. So I, I, I agree with you. The only reason I bring it up is because I was talking today with a, a friend of mine who's a diehard Manchester United fan, and he brought it up. He said I would do it. 
He said, I'm tired. I'm tired of what we've had at that position. I'd do it. Let me tell you, he would be so tired of the column inches <laughs> of Neymar in Rio when he should be playing against Stoke in the League Cup on a, on a wet th- Wednesday night or Tuesday oh. night. Uh, the rain in Manchester. I mean, I doubt Neymar liked the weather in Paris. He's not going to like it in Manchester. This yeah. is, I, I, oh my God, no. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, let's see. Another striker who won't be playing at Manchester United. He won't be playing at Real Madrid either. That's Kareem Benzema, JJ. First he was leaving Madrid, then he wasn't, and now he officially is. Uh, man, Benzema's time with Real Madrid. What a fascinating, fascinating tenure it was for him at that place. I think the the words that keep striking me with sort of how I'll look back on his time there is unlikely legend. I am... Um... I think he was consistently good for them. Uh, I remember when he was bought thinking it wasn't going to work out. And I f- remember being disappointed that he didn't have more time at Leon. Uh, even then, I was this kind of guy who wanted smaller clubs. Because, I, you know, Leon were in the quarterfinals, you know, knocking on the door of the Champions League. I was one of those guys that wanted him to stay there. He, he, he came to Madrid and, you know, he had to spend so much time in the shadows. The vast majority of his 20s in the shadows of other players. And then, I mean, he, he was always valued always valued as a, as, a, as a really, really quality player. And then when Ronaldo leaves, he just kind of emerges from this chrysalis and explodes onto the scene. And then we're like, oh, holy crap, this guy is actually brilliant. He's so good. And he's kind of been, I know he's part of the BBC, but at the same time, did you really, did you really think of him in, in, in the light? Uh, I never thought he was Ballon d'Or quality. No, but he... I, I mean, always knew he was great, but I thought, okay, well, yeah, up front with those guys, like a lot of guys would look great. Like, uh, he took it to a level that I didn't realize he had. Uh, just technically so good, strong, uh, <laughs> an absolutely brilliant, brilliant player. Um, and yeah, he's a legend. He's absolutely a legend. Um, and I don't know what this means for Real Madrid now, I mean, it means they are in a serious search for that center forward. I wonder, is there a way they can make a run at Mbappe again? Um, like really, really kind of rattle the cage there. And I wonder, in the broader sense of Middle Eastern relationships, might, hmm, might Qatar let Mbappe go to Real Madrid and kind of that would be the buzz and take the buzz away. Like that would be the big buzz move and take the buzz and the light and the heat away from Benzema going to Saudi Arabia. Like there, there's there's so many I'm levels. Trying to, I'm trying to connect your political dots here. I, I, so... I mean, Saudi Arabia is trying to get in on the act here. Oh, that, I would say that's abundantly clear. Yeah, yeah. They they have this they have this grand project. It's not it's not just about it's about increasing their influence as a a state and a country beyond an oil supplier, but also as this kind of cultural entity. And what bigger cultural entity is there than soccer? So they've got Messi involved. They've got Ronaldo involved now, and they're trying to do this by. By live golfifying soccer, as you said last week so presciently, and you are correct. Um, and 
in, in that sense, they, they want to take, they're looking at the example of Qatar and the United Arab Emirates, and they're trying to take some of the, the, the buzz and the spotlight away from them to do their own thing. And I'm wondering if Qatar saying, all right, we'll let Mbappe go, because if Mbappe go to Real Madrid, we'll steal headlines beyond Benzema trundling off to, to Saudi Arabia. It just will. But I don't so know wonder- that that serves them. Like, it probably doesn't is, serve them. Their, their maybe, best interest is is them. Yeah, so maybe, maybe maybe they come in and try and get Benzema. I don't know. Well, maybe no, that's... he's going. He's going to Saudi Arabia. That's how, that equation is solved. By but the I way, that mean, is like... that's sad. That is incredibly well, sad. Yeah, I mean, look again. I try not. Are you to... watching him? Are you watching him? Try... Who Benzema in the, in the Saudi league? No, it's over. <laughs> it's over for me. And that and that's why it's sad. Is because like. Like what? What's going to happen here is players that I'm not ready for them to become irrelevant are going to be, and like, because uh, is that ignorant of me? Like, is the right answer? You know what? Maybe I should expand my mind and and consider this league. But like, no, I'm just not going to. Like, just uh, I'm not there yet. There's a there's a lot of other like they can't. They can buy players, but it's hard for them to just suddenly buy prestige, you know, and buy history and buy tradition, like and buy competitions you're bothered about. (laughs) So, you know, these there's going to be a lot of players who are going to take this money. Do I blame them for it? Not necessarily. I mean, I don't know what's going on in people's lives. Um, I do think at a certain point, like how much is enough like this this need for more 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 to what end like you're you're willing to kind of like and look some of this might be Benzema had a Ballon d'Or season but like this year for Real Madrid he dealt with some injuries the team wasn't quite good enough um you know he might just know like let's not forget he's going to be he's 35 right he's going to be 36 like he might just know I can't I can't do this anymore at the level that I was at no. So I'm going to go out now while they still love me and while I still look good, and I'm going to cash in before it's too late. Now no. I still think he could spend another year there. <laughs> of and, course he could. Saudi Arabia would have, would absolutely still take him in for a comparable price. You don't uh, think he could go to a club like Manchester United, or he could go to a club like Chelsea? And well, he could just stay at Real Madrid. Like he doesn't All have right, to go okay, anywhere. Yeah. Yes. So this is about nothing other than money. And by the way, you, you talk about caring about these clubs. Today, the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia announced, as part of today's announcement of the sports club's investment and privatization project, four Saudi clubs, Al-Ihiyad, Al-Hilal, Al-Nasser, and Al-Hilal, uh, uh, I can't even pronounce, the for Al-Al-Hil, Al-Hilal, who cares, have been transformed into companies, each of which is owned by the PIF and non-profit foundations for each club. So, you know, they're now a hand, an arm of the Saudi PIF, which means they have unlimited resources to pay players. Um, and they're also twinned or sister clubs with uh, Newcastle United. <laughs> um, this is just all grim. The whole lot of it's grim. I Just gross, grotesque. And I don't care what you say. He's a few years left in his 30s. He could be a an asset to Real Madrid, maybe not consistently in every game maybe minutes it'd have to be managed but but beyond that beyond that this is just not good for football it's just gross yeah i mean it's for me it's just a shame that like that there are players that i'm not done watching that now now i am yeah i'm done and that's right it's it's only right to feel that way and to be kind of yeah just 
Um, Benzema ends his time at Real Madrid second uh, in goals, um, in uh, overall goals in all competitions, fourth for most goals in La Liga, uh, fourth for most goals in the Champions League, fifth for most appearances for Real Madrid. I mean, it's just an extraordinary career that he put together there. But perhaps more than anything that surprised me was uh, this message from Vinicius, uh, who wrote this. He said, Benzvini. Venzema, whatever. The result has always been the same. Goals, laughter, titles, and above all, learning. When the boy from Sao Gonçalo, too shy, arrived in Madrid in 2018, you were the first to receive me. I will never forget. I grew up with you. We won Spain, Europe, and the world together, and I was able to applaud his Ballon d'Or. You will be greatly missed. Thank you for everything, legend. JJ, pretty amazing, considering it was just less than three years ago that Benzema was begging Ferland Mendy not to pass the ball to Vinicius <laughs> in a Champions League match against Borussia Mönchengladbach. His quote was, on my mother's life, he is playing against us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? that's the most remarkable turnaround of all, that these two formed this kind of bond and, and relationship. Uh, I mean, like Vinicius, it... was, his message and his pictures that he posted was really moving, really emotional. And you could see it in the field, the way they play together after goals, the way they celebrate together. Um, it's yeah, like it's, when it's really and, quite a thing. It's like when Fergie and Wenger did their old pals act after both of them had kind of retired. They started turning up at um, events and speaking events, which I'm sure they were re- well uh, remunerated for. And they'd just be like they were the best of mates. And they actively... spent a decade hating each other in public (laughs) yeah last bit on this jj uh real madrid are going to be in pursuit of harry kane uh we know this it's probably the right they should at least explore it of course so here's my question for you and then we'll move off of this a 35 to be 36 year old benzema leaving a 30 year old kane entering for real madrid would that be a net gain a net loss or net neutral I think in considering the season that Kane has just had, his uh, his fitness, um, I think it's a net gain. I can't tell. I I would say it's not a loss. I no, can't it's tell not. If, I can't tell if it's a gain or neutral. I think I think it's. I think all things put together, I think it's a gain. Although, like I said, players in their thirties, decline is coming. Whether it's former injuries. Uh, and, and so maybe it's a sh- a short term win, um, but but I think it's a game. I do, I do yeah. think that Kane has shown us that in the Premier League. Uh, let's see. Speaking of Saudi Arabia, JJ, quickly let's talk Messi. I mean, obviously we don't know where he's going to go, but we know the Saudis are interested. Likely the front runner in this saga, or are they? Uh, the other day, remember we read part of Guillaume Balaguer's article, which kind of seemed to indicate that Saudi Arabia was increasingly becoming the preferred destination. I mean, we both sat here and said, "Don't expect him to be anywhere else but that country next year." Well, earlier today, Balaguer then tweeted this. He said, "The offer from Inter Miami arrived weeks ago. Less money and more complex deal than Saudi Arabia's, and it includes intertwined deals with big brands like Apple and Adidas. These are the two prominent offers. No formal offer from FC Barcelona, despite the fact he would seriously consider it. In my eyes, that app that option is now possible. Now, JJ, just based on the stuff that I read from Guillaume Balaguer, I feel like he has a pretty direct connect to the Messi camp. Um, so the fact that he's saying, in my eyes, that is now possible." When it's him saying it to me, that that resonates. That means something. It feels like it. It feels to me like that means someone close to Messi or that family, that camp is is indicating that. Um, but how? Like we keep hearing about, you know, La Liga has has now found a way to okay Messi's entrance to Barcelona despite their financials. We haven't seen this plan. 
I'm kind of getting to a point now with this where I need to see it to believe it. Like everything that happens with Barcelona and Messi to me feels a little bit like a bit of a ruse that they need to put up. They need to put up every front possible to trick everyone into thinking that they're doing all they possibly can to bring this guy back, to appease the fans that need to know that they at least tried to do it. But until I see some plan or until I see some kind of offer, it's hard for me to believe that that's going to be a reality. Yeah. I, I think you have to let the fan base know that if he's if he's open to coming back, that they, that you've exhausted all avenues to try and get him back to keep them on side. Um, I don't know how it's going to work, and I just wonder if the pressure of his pre-existing deal with Saudi Arabia already just makes this easy easier for Messi to go that route. Yeah, even though, even though I think his his overwhelming desire may to to stay and to try and compete in the Champions League maybe maybe just stunted by the sheer wages he'd have to be paid and the inability for Barcelona to get around Spain's rules where it's not like he could come in and earn 25,000, you know, do this thing for free, uh, essentially. So, I'm, I, yeah, it's, I feel like it's Saudi Arabia. I just feel that way. That would be my guess too. Uh, it would. But the, the last question I have for you on this, uh, so obviously with this, you know, we're all worried about where Messi's going next. I, I do want to ask at least one thing about where he just was. You know, his move from Barcelona to PSG was tectonic. Like this was this was yeah. massive for a, the greatest player in the history of the sport to change clubs from the only club he ever knew to this one, to the, the new money club, PSG in Paris. Um, so now it's over. Yeah. Here we are and it's over. And so I would ask you on a scale of one to 10, with one being spectacular failure and 10 being unimaginable glory, how will Messi's time be remembered at that club? Uh, three, four. Okay. Um, went I think, in, I, I think you're right. Went, went in, won the league he was supposed to win, was never taken to the to the hearts of the fans. They got in, increasingly frustrated with him. Um didn't didn't do anything didn't do anything in the Champions League, which was this definitely the stated aim of bringing him there. Never got um, past the round of sixteen. Yep. So, so yeah, three or four, I guess. Um, it wasn't. I mean, it it, it wasn't a, a success. It wasn't an unmitigated failure. Just it's something that happened, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the best I can say. Like there were times when he did amazing stuff, but you're like, huh? Isn't he kind of supposed to do that? Yeah. Yeah, sort of how I felt too. Now, a player who I don't think anybody would rate a three or four for his time at PSG, uh, far far higher than that, I think, Zlatan Ibrahimovic announced his retirement. Um, you know, I think I, it's interesting because Zlatan, and I think about his legacy and the way he'll be remembered, I think he's got a couple things working against him from a legacy perspective, um, one of which was out of his control and the other one was very much under his control. The one that was out of his control is sort of what we were just talking about. He played in an era right alongside Messi and Ronaldo, which I just think hurt a lot of the other great players of that era, that those two just sucked up so much of the oxygen of what people had to say about greatness during this time. Like, uh, I think Zlatan, obviously he wasn't those guys, but this guy in any era is a, is a legend of the sport. And uh, unfortunately for him, because he played in that time, I think it's it's hard for some people to remember. Like, it's kind of like, oh yeah, that's right. He was, he was yeah. amazing. Um so there's a little bit of that. And then the other part of it for me is what kind of was in his control. I worry a little bit that his like cartoonish persona will kind of cloud how great of a player he actually was. I agree. Um, Mark- he was, te- was technically, sorry, he was technically so, so good. And yet like he became a kind of a meme generator. Yeah. 
you know, so many people, his, his comments on pay to play in us soccer and, and how MLS was so easy for him kind of became the thing that was remembered. And you forget the super goals he scored. Well, and just some of like, like, I felt like the, the, it shouldn't be where when somebody brings up Zlatan to me, my initial instinct shouldn't be to roll my eyes. You know, like he's yeah. great. I should be in awe of him. But his whole like Zlatan, I am God, like all of this, like it, I just like I found myself rolling my eyes far more often when talking about Zlatan than I was in awe of him. And Mar- Marcus Christensen has a good article about him in The Guardian because he points out he's, he says Zlatan was a top 10 player in the world for a long stretch of time during his career. Um and and in the article, it points out, you know, we wonder some stuff about Zlatan, but the article points out he's one of the hardest workers. Any any of the guys that mentions Marco Verratti, uh, Paul Clement, who was an assistant at PSG, um, you know, these guys marveled at his work ethic and just how hard he worked. But unfortunately, Christensen also points out this. He says, off the pitch, he, Zlatan, got it seriously wrong at times. When a debate broke out in Sweden over why a male player had been given a car for breaking the all-time appearance record, but the female equivalent had not, Ibrahimovic said that it was, quote, ridiculous to compare men's and women's football and that the female player could have, quote, a bike with his autograph on it instead. He also told LeBron James that athletes should stay out of politics and often mm-hmm. refer to himself as God. He didn't need to do all that. He was good enough to be remembered for just the things he did on the pitch. Um, you know, but that's... I'm not telling a guy to not be true to who he is, but sometimes you you couldn't help but wonder, is he is this an act? Is he being true to who he is? Or is this just like how he's decided he wants his public image to be? Uh, correct. I think that was the projection. I always found him so tedious. I mean, didn't we discover that he didn't even write that book, which was so quotable for a few years? I am Zlatan or something like that. I mean, it was it was ghost written and he had zero, like very little input. And some of the stories were wildly embellished. I, I, I remember him as an absolutely a scorer of brilliant goals. Incredible. Yeah. Um, I, the one that springs to mind will always be the friendly in Stockholm, England versus Sweden. Joe Hart runs out of the box, a header, he lobs up in the air. It's innocuous enough. Zlatan with his back to goal has the vision, the awareness of where all the pieces are on the field and executes a bicycle kick from almost from like well 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 outside the box at an angle he was going he was moving towards the sideline into the net i think the retreating player was was it gary cahill someone he ended up like a just like a fish kind of tangled in the net in the wake of Zlatan. it was just a super goal then there was that goal early on in his career at ajax where he's just he's a much more nimble figure than the the figure he became and he just just brilliant footwork to beat i mean how many players in the end did he beat? Like 12 or 13, some guys twice. <laughs> and then just rolls it home. He was just a fabulous footballer. And all the other stuff just left me cold and kind of bored. And I never thought it was clever. Like he wasn't funny. He was in no ways funny. But people got fought and laughed in the way that they do in the modern world now. And like I said, he became a meme. This guy was much better than that. Yeah. I also think he was a fish out of water. He was the last of the Mavericks. One of the last of the major Mavericks. When he went to Barcelona, he hated the way that Pep Guardiola talked to them. And he described it as like they acted acted like meek school children while they were being told where to stand and what to do and movement. And he was so out of sync with the Klops, the Guardiolas of that era. And, and he, he was a man apart. And the fact he could still carve out a top-level career at PSG, Manchester United, Inter Milan, AC Milan, uh, Juventus, all those places. 
despite being someone who was just not in sync with the, with the way modern football was going, it was amazing. He, he belonged in the 70s or 80s. That's the kind of, of maverick genius he was. And he was a genius. He was absolutely technically a brilliant player. And I, I won't, I will do my best not to think of the inane, boring, dull things he constantly said and focus more on like the goals. His highlight reel is one for the ages. I would pay 20 bucks to go into a cinema and sit down and watch in glorious 4K um, all his goals back to back. Yeah, and it was, and you saw it here in MLS. I mean, per, maybe one of my most memorable Zlatan moments was that incredible debut performance for the Galaxy when he came he on. He was and, off a plane. He was jet lagged, and he smashes that volley in. It was unbelievable. What a it was like a, you were reading off a script. Like, is this yeah, that, real? That's the stuff I want to remember. Not his, yeah. not his proclamations, which, like I said, I found so tedious. Incredible player. I definitely, I, I totally agree with Marcus Christensen's assessment that for an entire era, he was top ten in the world all throughout uh, yeah. great consistency, just a, a, a freak, not many players that looked like him that played like him, just unbelievable talent and uh incredible career for, for sure. Undoubtedly. Um, last thing on this that I wanted to ask you, he doesn't strike me as someone who will just recede into the background. What, what do you see? I mean, is this a, a future career in media? Is it no. something different? Is he an actor? Um, I see a, a really, kind of Steven Seagal figure. I see some really bad cameos. Okay. In his future, and one low budget uh, action action film. I mean, I feel like this is a guy who's, and I'm not into WWE, but from what I know of it, I feel like he's born for that. I, I actually don't. Hmm. I think his shtick will get old very soon, and. But isn't that uh, like all of kind of what they do in WWE? I mean, maybe, like, but like some of them have it's such all in- shtick. Some some of them have such enduring shtick that it lasts forever. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin is still adored to this day. And I actually think a guy like Zatan will be exposed in that in that arena because like the things he said weren't weren't that interesting and weren't that funny at all. Like he was it was just the way kind of people laugh at the bully in the schoolyard because they're afraid they'll he'll pick on them. It wasn't really anything like pretty verbose or very well articulated. He was just he was just a bit of an ass. Wow. Interesting. Um I'll tell you what, we're gonna take a break in a sec. We'll come back and talk a little bit about uh CONCACAF Champions League and a couple wild things happening around Europe in our red cards and man of the match. But JJ, I just want to remind everybody, as you all know by now, that support for Caught Offside is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. So join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code CAUGHTOFFSIDE at manscaped.com. Inside the package, you find the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, uh, the crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, a travel bag to hold all of this stuff. Father's Day is approaching, so I would say this is a, a potential great gift in the making for for all the fathers out there. Even if they haven't expressed an interest in this, get the get it for them. They will not like. They'll like it. They just, it's something that maybe, you know, not every guy wants to talk about. Oh, I do this. But if you, if it suddenly shows up at his door, trust me, he'll like it and he'll use it. And this is as good, this product is as good as it gets. The lawnmower 4.0 waterproof as well. Also has the 4000K LED spotlight that you, uh, that you need for the more pre- uh, precise shave. Um, so be, and because it's waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. It's, it's just so easy. It's just so easy. So just do it. 
because ordering it is just as easy. Get 20% off and free shipping with code CAUGHTOFFSIDE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code CAUGHTOFFSIDE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. I'm excited about that because uh, Father's Day is coming up and I would tell people to get me that, but I already have it. So I will be uh, giving my balls another trim with uh, with Manscaped. Nice. Nice. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead. We'll take a break. We'll come back. A little bit of CONCACAF Champions League. A little bit of uh, some things happening around Europe as well, like Anthony Taylor, like some horrifying jerseys, like Toby Alderweireld. Still a lot to get to here on Cut Offside. Don't go anywhere. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, back now. Caught offside, JJ. We started the show talking about um, fatherhood, how it's going for you. Yeah, I'll tell, I'll tell you how it's going to be going for you in seven years when your children start <laughs> selling off all of your precious goods without you knowing. I, here's the text message that I got today. I was at work, um, and a buddy of mine, one of my good friends, Dave. He lives down the street. He was taking a walk with his son, and he sees my son Jack, seven year old, who's just tirelessly at work. He's up to something. Something is going on in our front Mm. yard. And so he, you know, he's close with Jack as well. And so he asks Jack, what's going on? And this is the text that I get from him. He said, Jack is about to sell all of your baseball cards to people driving by. He said, he's going to make a lot of money. He asked for help with a table. (laughs) Huh? He said, yes, you're Jack. He's setting up a stand. You should see what's going on. This is going to be great. And then he sends me videos. Jack has set up. He's seven years old. He's got, I brought all my baseball cards and basketball and football cards. They're all here now. I took them from my parents' home. They're all here. And I thought I'd show it to him. And so instead of him, I guess, liking them, putting them in albums, he's got the whole binder and bucket of them outside. He has set up a table. He draws a sign that says $3 for a card. And cars are stopping and paying him for these cards. I just walked upstairs before we started recording, and there's a bucket of money. Uh, I'm blown away by it. And here's the thing, though. The kicker for me that shows what great parenting I've done, my buddy Dave, he texted me and said that his only rule was that if they took, when they reached in for a card in the in the bucket, if the one they took was an eagle, they had to took they had to put it back. Jack would not let them take any of the Eagles cards that were in there. And I thought, you know what? My job is done. I've succeeded as a father. So you he's got the American entrepreneurial spirit. Uh he's also got a, a commitment and a love to you that he won't uh, give give away anything that means a lot to you. Um 
Also, I mean, <laughs> he's about to uh, about to obliterate your salary. <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah, apparently it's... he was telling neighbors that Amanda and I weren't paying him his allowance for doing his chores, and that's why he was doing this. That sounds about right, though. Now he's yeah. not wrong. We have not paid him in a couple of weeks. However, I would say that <sighs> when it comes to chores, there is an exchange of goods here. You get paid for doing work. He hasn't done D in the last two weeks. So, you know, you don't get paid. Now, the, he, I, he's resourceful. He found another way of making money. The American uh, capitalist system, where those at the very top benefit, the billionaires, they don't get paid for doing anything. So Jack has immediately tapped into the spirit of the time and uh, tried to do, achieve the same thing. I applaud him. Uh, I think it's amazing. And uh, it goes to show you, though, I mean, he does have... Uh, a certain amount of love for you. He also has a lot of disdain. A lot of disdain there. He's just selling away all my goods. I, and I was looking at it too. I was like, yeah, okay, have fun, Jack, trying to trying to offload my 92 Bill Cartwright. Good luck with that. But apparently I, I saw the bucket of money. So it, <laughs> he was doing something right. Uh, JJ, CONCACAF Champions League, back to Liga MX. Leon defeat LAFC 3-1 on aggregate to win this year's edition of the competition. Um Boy, LAFC, this was this was pretty meek. It was very meek. Um, I mean, they you could even say after the first leg they were fortunate to be in it. I mean, that could have been even Carlos Vela admitted himself. He said we could have been four one, five one down. They only got their goal at the right at the very end in like the ninety sixth minute. Um, they could have been out of sight. Leon could have been out of sight at that point. But LAFC had that lifeline right at the end. I'll, and I'll admit, maybe it's an MLS bias, but when I saw them get that late goal. Uh, to get it 2-1 going back to LA, I thought, okay, they're going to do this. Like They're, they're going to do this. They're going to go home and no. they'll, they'll find a way. And boy, was I wrong. Well, first of all, can I just get, get to the goal? It's one of yeah. the worst goals you'll ever see. The centre-backs are all over the place and I don't know how McCarthy doesn't keep it out. Well, that's, I mean... What's he doing? Centre-backs are not. And you're right, but... Ugh. I mean, that is, that, was, that is a shocker. Every goal just, can like, you can't have that. Like when no. you're you're already fighting uphill in a cup final, you're not playing particularly well. You just can't have a goalkeeping error like that. No, you cannot. You absolutely can't. Um, also, uh, you know, uh, Illy Sanchez said uh, they were up to their best and we were not. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. We are so sad because we earned the right to play the second leg at home in front of the best fans you can ask for, and we haven't delivered. However, Steve Chirondolo was kind of bullish. Afterwards, he said, the game is not about tactics. It's about moments and mentality. And in the right moments, Lyon was better. They were also, well, tactically, they were also tactically better. Well, but Chirondolo is right in the sense that that's a different game. If in the second minute or whatever it was, Bowanga connects on that ball, I mean, they should have scored. And he that, just that's whiffed. Like, to me, that's what Chirondolo is talking about. Is The moment was presented, and, and we failed. We weren't up for it. And that I think that changes the game. Uh, he, Correct. Um, and then Chirondo went on to bemoan salary caps, etc. And the, the kind of built-in MLS inhibitors on team spending, which amazingly, the, the league themselves printed on their website, <laughs> so, um, which wouldn't be the way I thought. Uh, but I, I guess when someone That's like That's good, Chirondo, though, it, that, the mm, league, that the league would print that on the website. I mean, they I mean. should. Yeah, uh, but you wouldn't expect them to. But at the same time, LAFC have a standing. Toronto has a standing now in the league. That I suppose they can't they can't ignore what he says. Um, yeah, I, it. I, I guess the question then kind of is: Does this do anything to hurt them in terms of the league? I don't know. 
it's I mean it's disapp- it's definitely disappointing the chance to win it at home, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We know the effect that winning the competition had on Seattle. So um, can losing sure. have a similar impact domestically? Don't know. Remains to be seen. That's one of those narratives that I think gets written after the fact. Yeah, yeah, you I know, think like so. Whatever, whatever the outcome winds up being, we can then go back and say whatever. How we can position it however we want. I mean, look, right. and it, look, the, the LAFC knocked out the Union in a, in what was a huge gut punch to the Union to get knocked out by that team again at that stage of the competition. And look what's happened to the Union since. They've been brilliant in MLS. They also, climbed right back near the top of the East. So, right. who knows? And, and, it could kick them on or it could knock them off. Killed? Who knows? I don't know. I think if you got an injury in that competition is more significant than playing and losing in it itself. I, I, I'm not yeah. sure I buy into that. Yeah. Um, but boy, it was, it was disappointing to watch. You kept waiting for that flurry um, and it just didn't come. They just, they just didn't look like themselves, you know, no. like to watch LAFC is not, you know, yeah, this year's a little different under Chirundolo is a little different in that like, maybe they don't possess the ball as much. Maybe it's more on the counter, but I don't know. They just look tentative. They just weren't threatening. Um, I don't know. Maybe some of it, was like some of it was self-inflicted like we talked about McCarthy's just you can't have that working against you at that position in such a big game but you know they also Toronto had a formation change um moving away from his usual 4-3-3 they also brought Chiellini back in who hadn't played odd. a game since early April very odd um so yeah I I don't know this was this is one that's this one could stick with them. I mean, this there was an opportunity that was right there for them. I'm not going to say that it was like Dortmund-esque opportunity wasted, but in the context of MLS and like what this competition means to this league, trying to catch up with League MX, it was this is a, a huge blown opportunity, and that's not something over the last year or so that LAFC are used to. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That was uh, that was a little bit puzzling. But congrats to Leon. I mean, they, they inflicted that. Um, they did not make things easy. They played their game. They were not intimidated. Um, and like we said, it really, I mean, it really could have been worse. LAFC were fortunate to have been in it at all. So, um, yeah, props to Leon, CONCACAF Champions League. They are your champions. Liga MX, rejoice. Uh, props to them. Um, JJ, let's let's wind it down now. A thing that we haven't done in, in, just, a, in just a little bit. And uh, let's start out by doing this. Red card. Wow. You want to go? Yeah, go wow. ahead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to do this, but I also don't want to spend a huge amount of time on it because it's so absolutely grotesque. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we all know that there was a supporter arrested at the FA Cup final for wearing an offensive Hillsborough t-shirt, a Manchester United supporter. Um, just remind that Manchester United supporters that Liverpool weren't playing on on the weekend, but. He wore a T-shirt that said "Not Enough '97" in uh, in reference to the 97 people who died. Jesus, yeah. And he was arrested for a uh, um, uh, a, a public order incident. So um, obviously, uh, you know, there was a lot of people asking about freedom of speech issues in our mentions. I mean, can we just park that one for one second? And just say how disgusting and grotesque a thing that is to do. And also, whoever printed that for him is, I mean, morally in, in, in serious bother as, as well. Uh, Eric Ten Hag said in a message to Manchester United supporters, it is unacceptable to use the loss of life in relation to any tragedy to score points and it is time for it to stop. Those responsible tarnish not only the reputation of our clubs, but also importantly, the reputation of themselves, the fans in our great cities. Um, I would like to say that this is not a... 
a regular thing, but I've been in in um, an argument about football with a Chelsea fan on Twitter who listened to the podcast and is based in America and is an American. And it descended towards him having a go at me over the, the 39 people that died at the Heisel Stadium disaster in 1985. Now, there is a... And it, it goes it goes both ways. Um, there is a an acceptance, and it's it's usually online, and but it's also in the stands too, and we shouldn't pretend that it isn't. Where it's okay to use tragedy in this tribalistic way against uh, Liverpool or against Manchester United for the um, Munich air disaster. Um, that's how that's how how sick football has got. And like I said, you see, you can see it every day online. It's there all the time, and it's absolutely grotesque. And I don't, I don't know what to do about it as well. And and when I, you know, it's especially galling to hear fans from other countries doing it. Like it's, inf- it's the infection has spread everywhere. Um, yeah, this guy, uh, uh, he is the worst kind of person. Why? What? What are you? The mentality. Well, I just wonder, JJ. You talk about mentality. Like, do people think that having that shirt makes you a bigger fan? Yeah. Like, do people believe that? Yeah, I, I, I don't. Yeah, but I think fan culture has got to the point where it's it's whatever. Now, this is a low-level incident, but I went to a bar on Saturday night and saw a Manchester United fan and genuinely commiserated. I said, I'm, I, uh, commiserations on this morning. And their reaction was to tell me to F off. And then when they saw my face and said, no, I, I mean, I'm sorry. Sorry you lost the game this morning. Um, they were like, oh, sorry. It seems as if there there's this need that it's my club and I see everything through the prism of it and that's it. And... And and that's and that's the only way I view it. I don't view, like. There's no nuance. There's nothing. My club, right or wrong. And then the the obvious grim conclusion to that is that you take a tragedy and you use it as part of that uh, that tribal. I I don't. I, I I'm really am speechless. It was it's absolutely disgusting. And and again, imagine imagine going in, imagine his face going into the shop to get that done. Because it if you look at the picture, it's got the. It's got the Premier League logos. It's it's the official Premier League lettering with the Premier League logos on the nine and the seven. Imagine going in and saying to someone, "Can you uh, can you get me a, a jersey there? Yeah, yeah. I want I want this printed on the back of it. Sure. What do you want? Not enough. Yeah, I think actually you're right. Like someone needs to, that need that should be looked into as to how that was even allowed to happen in the first place. Well, someone should be sacked for that. Um, back to the f off thing. Now, yeah. did the per- I, I need more? Did now the person who told you that? Did they know you were a Liverpool fan? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they. That's important because I'll tell you right now, and this might maybe this makes me a bad guy. <sighs> if a Cowboy fan came up to me in the immediate aftermath of the Eagles losing that Super Bowl and said to me, "Hey, I'm sorry that you lost that," I would have assumed sarcasm and I would have said the same thing. There was there was another Manchester United fan beside me who clearly knows me better. And and they went, whoa, no, 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 like that when, okay. when she said that. All right. Well, they know you better. This guy didn't. I think uh, I'm okay th- with the F off. Th- I think 
<laughs> Look, I know that person as well, and uh, they were uh, once they realized I was being genuine or trying to be nice, they 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 genuinely were yeah. like apologetic for telling me the f off. But at the same time, I don't need that. I I know. Uh, well, I'm going to stick with this this sort of theme here with my red card, JJ. We. We didn't have a chance really to talk about what happened to Anthony Taylor after the Europa League. We recorded a podcast after the game, but then stuff continued. But Let's we had a... the we had the Mourinho audio. We, right, we, we had we had that. We knew yeah. that that happened in the parking lot after the game. But what we mm. hadn't seen yet was, was what was going to occur at the Budapest airport less than 24 hours later when he was. So let's think about this guy's 24 hours, Anthony Taylor. So he does the game. He's accosted on the field with virtually every decision he made. Then the game ends. He's accosted in the parking lot after the match by Josie Mourinho. The day is finally over. I'm ready to go home. I'm at the airport. Now he's accosted in the airport the following day by an angry mob of Roma fans while with his wife and daughter. A chair, in the video, a chair from out of out of view, thrown towards them. I mean, like this stuff is like what's what is going on? Like now, I'm not saying this next sentence is any sort of indictment on the job that Anthony Taylor did last week in officiating the final. We can have that conversation in a minute, but like as a general commentary on officiating in this sport, to go through these things that happened to Anthony Taylor over the course of 24 hours in Budapest, like. If you feel like the quality of officiating has declined, look no further than examples such as this. Why on earth would anyone want to do this job? Yeah. Like, if your original reason for getting involved with officiating was out of your love for the sport, how quickly would you become completely jaded when guys making a hundred times what you're making whine and complain about every single thing you do? Like, then you got to deal with, with stuff like Mourinho in the parking lot. You're dealing with fans who are behaving like animals afterwards. Uh, I just, like, this is, if you think, again, I'm not, I can't sit here and tell you that officiating is on the decline. I think that part of it is that we just, we see more, we see more angles. We have social media where this stuff just kind of like enters the news cycle and never leaves. So yeah. like, I think, I think we're just aware of more. I'm sure calls were horrifying back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s as well. We just didn't see them yes. as much. But like, if you are someone that believes that, then like, look inward, look at the way you, these people are treated. Are you getting the best and brightest who want to do this job? Like, so I, 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 I'm just I'm thinking about it, JJ. Like your red card that you you had about the jersey, you know this with Anthony Taylor, uh, the Alkmaar West Ham incident that we talked about a couple weeks ago. We yeah. Stephen Bergwe over over last week punching a fan who said something abhorrent about one of his teammates. The racist slur in last week's uh, TST match, the soccer tournament, which was yeah. so much fun until suddenly it wasn't when racism. And yes. to that conversation, JJ over the weekend, a Bordeaux fan running on the field and assaulting a Rodez player. What the hell is going on? Like, what is actually going on? This is all in the last couple weeks, not this season, not in the last couple years, the last couple weeks, all of these things. The discourse in this sport has spiraled out of control. Now, I don't know if that's like I just said about officiating. Do we, we maybe we just know more. Is that what's happening here? Do we just know more? Like, was this stuff always going on and we just know more because well, of social media perpetuating it? Or is something is something genuinely troubling happening here that I don't I don't know how to stop? I I think the sports uh, position as this massive, massive cultural movement. I mean, it's it is it is outside of music. It's the biggest cultural movement in the world, the sport of soccer. And it has it takes in all these elements and fringes that I think 
what was happening with the hooligans in the 70s and the 80s is happening now in a different way online and then spilling into the real world. There's like some sort of displacement. There are so many unhappy people and they are using their support of a football club or their involvement in football to to project the misery of their lives or the anger and the deep pain and hurt that they have in their lives. And this is the this is the place that they can use it. I remember when I was in college, we we did this thing on medieval carnival and how even in a, a very in the res, very restrictive and very, very uh, church run Catholic church run England of the of the Medi- of the Middle Ages, the one place they had where they could just go absolutely nuts and and everything was allowed was the carnival. Carnival was where you could do what you wanted. And even even in on stage uh, at productions and plays that they used to have, they 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 allowed uh, that dark side of the human soul, that dark side of the human psyche to be shown. And I think Carnival a thousand years later, or 900 years later, whatever, has been replaced by football. So I don't think this is about football per se. I'm not saying football shouldn't try and regulate elements of it, like racism in its stadiums, etc. But I think this is about the 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 pent up anger, frustration, emotions, on the deep pain of people, and they don't have a therapist. Not everyone has access to a therapist. Not everyone can afford one. Not everyone lives in New York in some kind of. Um, since it seems to be a therapist, you, you walk out the morning, you trip over a therapist. That's, that's not the case in, in the real world. And I think it's it's kind of displacement and projection. That is what I think is happening here. I I, saw, I think some of the people involved in these things don't like football, but it's a way for them to to let some dark matter out. Yeah, I don't know. All right, well, let's end on something happier then. And let's do this. <laughs> Caught offside's man of the match. You want to go? Yeah, even I'll go. I'll go. Even in the happiness, this is still pretty dark. But I, I'm, aye, happy, aye, aye. I'm happy something has been done. All right. um, so this is from Monday. Se- seven people involved in different racist attacks against Real Madrid forward Vinicius Junior have been punished by Spain's state com- uh, commissar. Four men were fined sixty thousand and banned from sports venues for two years after hanging a banner reading "Madrid hates Real" and an uh, inflatable black, black effigy in a replica of Vinicius number 20 jersey on a bridge near Real Madrid's facilities during the team's cup uh, match against Atletico on January 26th. Three other people were fined 5,000 and banned from sports venues for one year after making racist gestures towards Brazil, the Brazilian international during a La Liga match at Valencia's Mestalla Stadium on 21st of May. The sanctions come 11 days after the arrest of the four men on suspicion of hanging the effigy and their release on bail by a Madrid court. Now, look, this is still grim, but at least it's something. Does it solve everything? No, it doesn't. I still think La Liga have to look at governing their grounds and taking draconian action against those who make racist remarks against any players on the field. But at least this is something, some kind of punishment for those things that have been done to him. Uh, yeah, I guess we wanted action. This seems like kind of bare minimum for me, but it is something. It's something. So I hear you. Uh, let's see. My man of the match, JJ, how about this? Toby Alderweireld and Royal Antwerp. Uh, I'm not quite sure I can recall a title race where three different teams had it won in the 89th minute and on. <laughs> um, you had so now obviously in, in the Belgian league for the last, what is it, 15 years or so, they've had a playoff of the top four teams. Um, that finish out the season basically in their own mini league, 
which is actually, it's kind of a cool format. You look into it for more, but just know that that's kind of how it works. So uh, Union St. Gilois, if that's how you pronounce it, had they had a hand on the trophy, basically. They had a lead in the 89th minute. Somehow, in the final few minutes of the game, they conceded three goals. So they go down. They hand the trophy right over to Gank, who are playing Royal Antwerp. Gank's got a hand on, a hand on the trophy. They had it for five minutes until Toby Aldevereld did this for Royal Antwerp against Gank in the 94th minute. What a goal. What oh, a goal was... from just outside the box. A screamer from Alderweireld in the, <laughs> into the top corner. It was incredible stuff. And that is how things would remain. Antwerp then, they they held on in all this craziness to uh, the game ended in a tie 2-2. But that was enough for them. That point was enough to give them their first league title in 66 years. Uh, afterwards, Alderweireld said, I have no words for this. A visibly emotional Alderweireld, 34, told Belgian television after his heroics. Everyone wrote us off. We fought so hard for this. Everyone was against us, but we did it today. Um yeah, you know, Alderweireld. He he might have made his name at clubs like Ajax and Tottenham, but Royal Antwerp holds a special place for him as Antwerp is the city of his birth, and a club that Alderweireld has vowed in the past that he would return to one day. And now, in the sort of later stages of his career, uh, he has, and it's yeah. um, and not only has he returned, but he authored what was arguably the club's greatest moment. Um, just incredible, incredible stuff. It was kind of his Believe Land moment. Um, coming back to <laughs> Antwerp, this is for you. <laughs> yeah, but but it kind of is, and it's so special. It it was if a film was made, a fictitious film was made, and you said the way he finished into the top corner was the way he won the league for his boyhood club. You'd laugh because it's too ridiculous. It's not a scrappy tap in or a header from five yards. It's an absolute rocket, like a rocket into the roof of the net. Fairy tale finish. And and yeah, you know, just in response to that email we got last week, like, why am I watching this sport anymore? Maybe maybe we got to be more more discerning. Maybe we have to be the so- actual soccer hipsters and start watching leagues like the, the Belgian League very, very closely. And maybe League of Ireland. And and maybe, you know, maybe the Scottish League becomes the thing we do every weekend. I I I maybe that's that's ultimately where what we'll end up doing. And uh, thanks to all the people who got, got in contact and said uh, they kind of enjoyed me when I said F them if the Super League teams left, like the, the what top six in England or whatever it is left to a Super League. And that wasn't what I saw from the animals. They were a little discouraged by that. Were they really? Yeah. They said, wow, JJ. Uh, I forget the exact comment, but it was something like, wow, JJ hit with a turn on the Super League. And somebody said, well, lack of sleep will do that to you. Yeah, no, I did see that comment. No, no, how is that a turn on the Super League? That's saying, listen, if we got... I mean, we did three podcasts basically talking about how abhorrent the idea of it was. uh, Yeah, it is abhorrent. But I'm saying if these clubs continue to like want to constrict soccer to within an inch of its life, F them, get rid. I'm not there yet. I'm not... Not there where I'm ready to throw those clubs away. And if Tottenham keep going the way they're going, they won't be there either. These are the jokes. You think it's funny, don't you? I got to go do the night, start the night feed. The night feed is sponsored by a lack of sleep and resentment. Oh, wow. We're already at resentment, huh? I, um, 
I love her. I love her little face. Um, but like, I am going through that period where I'm like, "What have I done?" Hmm. Seems a little early for that. <laughs> been a week. It's been a week. Huh. It's been a week. I love her. I love her. What am I talking about? Oh, it's the tiredness. Yeah. Anyway, I hope that tomorrow evening you get a text message saying that your wedding photos are being sold by the side of the road and then your TV is gone and everything. I want him to sell everything in your house. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My neighbor walking down the street. Uh, Andrew, I didn't know you were selling your car. Huh? <laughs> well, Jack has a for sale sign in the window. What's that now? Yeah, he actually handed me the Kelly Blue Book for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man hey this was fun we'll of course be back uh later this week to get you ready for the champions league final manchester city oh enter uh, milan oh yeah. yeah i'm looking forward to that um uh, but i want to thank everyone who's voting for us currently on world soccer talk um for the best podcast they added us to the ballot yeah um finally um and uh and we're doing very very good but it, it should be noted this vote is throughout june so if you haven't voted why don't why don't you go over and vote for us you know why not Give us a vote. It takes only a moment of your time. Yeah, a little click for Caught Offside World Soccer Talk. You can see it there on, on their Twitter and on their website. Give a vote for old JJ and Andy because JJ sure needs the money now. Is there a financial prize attached to this? I, I, I'd i be far more aggressive in uh, in trying to get out the vote had I known that. I hope there's a financial okay. prize. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, hey, well, this was fun, man. Like I said, we'll be back later this week with another one. JJ to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 